This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Alan and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing design to work together to make design that is profitable. I'm Greg from Studio One Design, and here's my co-host, the awesome... Alan from Pixel Partners HQ. Man, you really revved that up today. <laughs> Having a bit of fun, buddy. It's almost Christmas and, you know, the silly season is almost upon us. I thought I'd uh, take a bit of that and put it into the intro. Mate, go for it. You know, Jason always says to us, why don't we just... Jason is our editor. Hi, Jason from Sonic Podcaster. He always says to us, why don't we just pre-record that intro? <laughs> that would be boring. <laughs> and I've said to him so many times, it's because it reminds us of why we're doing this podcast. You know, to start with that and put some enthusiasm into it. And, you know, even if you do it a bit silly, Greg. Yeah, why not occasionally? Cool, man. What have you been up to? Mate, to be honest, yeah, look, we've been really busy. Uh, the Sydney studio here has been... Been busy taking a lot of photos because we, we just moved our office and studio in the Philippines. It's now up and, and running again, and uh, that should spread the load a little bit more. But mm-hmm. uh, look, lots of fun and exciting stuff going on. Tons of stuff for Amazon and and packaging work. And I'm actually starting to collect a bunch of you know examples of just how badly done packaging is. I mean, some of the stuff that we're receiving here uh, as samples coming from, you know, China, and I'm not criticising any other designers out there, but designers that aren't stopping and putting the thought into the why of the packaging, there's some pretty funny stuff. Uh, I should actually, I should do a blog post or or an episode just on these fails and post them all on the website. (laughs) We should indeed. I think that's great. And look, I know there's a marketer that I found that has his team constantly on the lookout for fails in advertising and then he posts them on his social media page and they're just hilarious. I visit that page just for that reason. Oh, mate, I, I love it. I mean, the, the internet is just full of examples of really, really bad packaging. You know, bad translations, bad diagrams, bad Photoshop jobs. And some of them are hilarious. Bad spelling. Yeah, yeah. Look, some of them are hilarious, but I, I, I guess... What I'm trying to do too is, you know, be a little more active on social media and I'm posting before and afters of some of the work that we've done on the, on the Pixel Partners site. Smart, um, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's a bit scary how bad some of this really is. <laughs> yeah, that's really clever as well to show people what you're capable of. But yeah, that's good, man. And I guess you were going to ask, what have I been up to? I certainly was. What have you been up to, Mr. Merrilies? Excellent. Well, how's this, man? Like I... I'm not much of a writer. I don't enjoy writing. However, next year, one of my goals is to write a book. (gasps) That's awesome. (laughs) How are you going to find the time to sit there and type however many thousand words it takes to write a book? Yeah, so I'm not at all. I'm actually going to use a ghost writer. So uh, I'm hiring somebody to, to set me up with the structure of the book and to really flesh out what it's all about and who it's for and, and you know, all those things to really get the... Well, the structure essentially. And then I'm going to hire a ghostwriter to interview me and ask me questions based on the structure and to go to like some of our podcast episodes and go to our uh, my blog and just piece it all together following the structure that I'm going to be given. And then, you know, the, the ghostwriter is going to write it based on the knowledge that I'm sharing. Yeah. And of course, you'll go through and do your edits and, and make sure it is in character. I mean, a great ghostwriter should be able to write it as if you're writing it. 
That's right. And this this ghostwriter writes some of our blog posts anyway, so she already understands our voice. So yeah, and, and it will be a, a, an iterative process. So there'll be stage one, you know, get it all sort of fleshed out, and then stage two, editing, and then re-editing, and it'll probably be a 12-month process, you know? You know, at first when I heard you were going to do this, I thought, oh, that's cheating. But the reality is, it's just like, you know, hiring a designer to do design work. You're not an expert writer. You have the knowledge, you know what needs to be achieved but to pay a professional to actually help you put it all together is is a pretty smart thing to do yeah that's the way i look at it as well because yeah i'm not a book writer at all and if i tried to write a book there'd be no flow it wouldn't make sense and it would just be a big old mess so that's why anybody that's going to write a book these days you know hire someone that knows how to do it because you're going to get a better result Absolutely. All right. So what is our topic for today? We're talking about a topic that you came up with, which is secret photography and design tricks that people are going to be horrified to know. <laughs> Maybe not horrified, but that's a good headline. <laughs> it's going to make people listen to this episode. Hi, listener. How you doing? <laughs> now, look, what I really wanted to talk about was, you know, it's the, it's often some of the little tiny techniques that we use in the studio, in post-production and in, in design, in things like Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign that make a huge difference to the finished output of the work that professionals do, right? Mm-hmm. And two people can do the same work seemingly have the same qualifications and one knows these tips and tricks and it often comes from working with experts in the field you know a constant need to learn and study and and building this repertoire of tips and hacks and tricks that just give you finished work that little difference to everybody else's Mm, absolutely man what a great topic because you know i mean i just take for granted what we do you know, as just part of what we do. But yeah, there's lots of tricks that we've learned over the years that are really secrets that not a lot of people know. And I'm going to kick off with one if that's cool, Al. Yeah, go for it, mate. I'd love you to. Yeah, so we sold our house uh, recently and the photography was okay, but it wasn't wasn't the best. So a trick that I learned years ago was to take a photo on a tripod, dusk, and then one when it's, you know, a little bit lighter and a little bit darker than dusk sort of thing. And then what you do in Photoshop is just merge them all together to get the right light in on each section of the of the subject so the house you know you might want the lights on the inside of the house to to be brighter sort of thing so you know you would that's the shot that would have been taken when it's a little bit darker in the evening so yeah you just piece it all together and the, the results are amazing Oh, look, you stole one of my Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, and it wasn't so much about real estate photography, but it was the same principle. So there's often types of products that need more than one exposure to show the whole product in its best light. So a great example of that is lit digital screens. Right, so you know LED, LCD screens. Yep. It's very difficult in studio or, or even out of studio to take one photo and get the balance of exposure that you need. Right, so quite often it will be a compilation of two or three images. We have a department that does 
360 Google Street View photography. And the minimum number of exposures for each shot when we do that is three. Sometimes we even do five exposures to give us this huge exposure latitude right. that we can that we can merge together. In the studio, quite often it will be just two. It'll be one of the illuminated screen and one Obviously, we the, the camera's on a tripod. It, it's stationary, so it's in exactly the same spot. Yep. And then one of the rest of the product lit exceptionally well, and then they're blended together to give us the finished result. There you go. There you go. All right, that's awesome. So, I mean, you're a professional photographer. I'm a hack, but uh, good to know. We know the same tricks. Yeah, well, look, I mean, maybe that's not such a secret. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, I mean, look, having said that, I've always had an SLR since I was 15, and I've always had an interest in it. So, learned a lot over the years. Yeah, so so here's another one, right? This is another the photography one, a studio one, which is which has to do with skew, right? So uh, yep. when the human eye looks down on something or looks up on something, the brain is smart enough to know that those lines are parallel. So, you know, if you're looking up at a building, for example, you know that that building is not a triangular shape, you know it's parallel, and the brain interprets that. A camera is not so smart. So what happens is you get that, what is it called, convergence in the distance? Yeah, yeah, Where, yep, where the two points join together. Yeah, for the vanishing point. The vanishing point, yeah. So, uh, and it's not so much distance I'm talking about here, it's looking up and looking down right so quite often people will take photos of a product or a box and they'll want to show the top side the top or the side of the box and they'll be slightly looking down on the box but what happens is your edges then are no longer parallel right and this can go with all types of products it just doesn't need to be a box i'm just using a box because it's an easy example yeah. so one of the the things that we always do is we always look at adjusting the parallel sides of anything that should be parallel visually especially for products on screen where you know you're looking at a flat screen it's almost unnatural to see something that you're looking down at or up at when you're looking at a screen mm, nice and do you also make sure that the verticals are exactly vertical and not on a slight angle uh look we, we th that's part of of making those items parallel now there are times when they need to be parallel and not vertical right so you do have to be careful not to get that wrong and sometimes you have to make a decision as to whether you want the the horizontal or the horizon straight and i think the horizon is more important than the verticals often. yeah that makes sense yeah i just wanted to clarify that another little trick on the same lines is uh, that i do is to remove the fisheye lens effect you know using a filter in photoshop so obviously it depends on on your camera and your lens but sometimes if you're too close to something you know the photo kind of warps the the verticals and the horizontals to to kind of bellow out and create what's called a fisheye effect so yeah we've just got this simple filter in photoshop that'll correct that automatically instantly yeah, well, see, a lot of these things used to you'd be a real problem for photographers and, and Photoshop and, and a lot of apps have started to realise that it was a constant thing that they were doing, so they've built them in. Hey, listen, just on that, the, the verticals and horizontals, that goes for any type of photography too. You know, if you're taking a photo at the beach of the family, one of the things you can correct very, very easily, even the iPhone almost does, I think it does not automatically now, is it straightens the horizon because it's so common that, yeah, people hold their camera just, they're, they're, they're 
they're focused on the subjects and they don't realize that because of the the where they're standing or how they're holding the camera that the horizon is is slightly crooked so you know making sure those if there's any vertical lines in the background that they are vertical and any horizontal lines are horizontal is 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 one of those little finishing touches that makes it a big difference that's smart man yeah yeah I i love the fact that the cameras are coming a long way and taking out the uh the tricks that you know could take us hours to to fix things like that yeah absolutely i think what happens now is because those things are available we're expected to do more yeah we're expected to do a lot more both in design and photography you know those little details are are critical now because they are easier to fix so it's just assumed that they're going to be done yeah yeah absolutely all right well i've got one in design so what we like to do is just have like we're designing websites so we just have some some hidden vertical guides down the page just to make sure that we're you know going to keep it in sort of a grid layout but not because one of the trends these days for web design is to use what's called a broken grid layout but we just have these hidden guides to make it much easier for the designer to lay things where you know where it's going to make it easier for coding essentially oh look guides you know i think this is one of the things that people who are using a lot of apps today they do have things like snap to right where where, or or alignment which is a lot easier than than it was in the past but uh i mean we recently did we recently helped out a school who'd, who'd published a school magazine and just little things like having all the images in the same size bounding box aligned correctly makes a massive difference to the to the finished product. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep, absolutely. And then you know, there's a little trick in Illustrator which is Command D. So if you've got something aligned and you want to, you know, move it over by a certain amount and then move it over by the same amount again, Command D will do that. So instead of having to move the object and guessing that right amount, even if you don't have guide set up, just Command D that set of objects and it'll just duplicate the exact same movement that you did previously. Even if it's a rotation or a scale or anything, Command D will uh, duplicate that last move. Nice, nice. Now, one of the things I love with my team when we're doing diagrams and illustrations and things like that, and, and I think it, it's, it's the, and I'm going to, I mean, we do some pretty elaborate stuff. So for instruction manuals and, and so on and so forth, but let's just take it back to something that the average business owner might use, like a, a PowerPoint deck or a flow chart or that type of diagram. Mm-hmm. Um, we often get sent, you know, 20, 30, 50 page slide decks, presentations, that kind of thing that have all these diagrams in it. And I am sure the person putting it together spent hours and hours and hours putting these things together but you know little things that make a big difference are things like very subtle use or 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 good use of gradients so not just having a solid block of color but strategically having it fade in and out is is um something that can make that can add depth and shape to to a diagram Mm, yeah that's yeah nice one man have you finished on that because i got another one <laughs> oh no, well i was gonna say and and consider the your corners you know like look at your branding are you a soft brand or are you a sharp brand and maybe your diagrams can have little you know very small rounded corners those little things make a big difference yeah absolutely and you know the, the latest version of illustrator i think they changed it in like illustrator 9 or whatever but they made it a lot easier to round all your corners 
instantly simultaneously and you can edit them really quickly as well but yeah in the previous version you couldn't do it so easy so well that's what you get for being an illustrator user InDesign's always been able to do round corners oh, is that easy. right oh there you oh, go yeah. there you go yeah that's not my <laughs> weapon of choice <laughs> no no that's it cool but then we do a lot more publishing work so yeah yep yep excellent now obviously you know with uh, illustrations and designs we, we like to do a rough sketch first but look we don't we don't share our roughs with the client unless they absolutely you know request to see them and usually it might come after the fact that we've given them the, the final so what we will do if we get asked for a rough is we will often just trace our rough rough into a better looking rough so there's a little yeah. <laughs> you you rough rough into a not so rough rough yeah, exactly just so it looks cooler and you know still rough but yeah it looks closer to the final thing well we actually present a lot of sketches to our clients right and what what will happen is we will do the rough sketch and then the person sketching it will for lack of a better word, ink it. So go and make sure that the main features are, are strong, similar to what you're doing with the, ta- the tracing paper. But I know the guys are using iPads a lot more and tablets a lot more. So yeah. what they do is they just fade out the rough sketch. So it's still there. You can just see it, but then they strengthen the final part of the sketch. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good good tip for sure. All right, what what else have we got? Look, I mean, you know, there's lots of filters you can get for photos, like third-party filters. But, I mean, one thing I like to do is just add a really simple layer filter. It could be in Illustrator or Photoshop, maybe in Design. Don't know because I don't use it. Just to make the photo look a little bit cooler, maybe a, t- a touch of, you know, retro or just a... And it's literally just done with a color layer, usually on the, the opacity called Lighten. And I just find that, yeah, it can add a really nice tint to the photo. So you're, you're actually talking about blend modes here, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this, this is another one that's, uh, look, I don't know if it's exclusive to professional applications. I'm assuming it is because I don't use things like Publisher or Canva or anything like that. But blend modes are a way to combine colors, layers, images, yep. and they blend together in different ways. And they can give you some really, really nice results and affect just certain parts of, of the image. So blending and blend modes and and creative uses of things like gradient layers. Now, we're probably talking a whole other language here. Yeah, it's a bit technical. Yeah, I think we're going into probably some of the the technical stuff. I'm looking for these little, little hacks, you know, the little tweaks that we do that just finish off our images really nicely. Or designs. (laughs) <laughs> or designs and designs yeah cool all right well i mean you know i guess with with fonts we kind of touched on it a few episodes ago but just font pairing you know that if you just stick to a basic rule uh, which we do of a, a big bold font with a, a lightweight font as long as they, they could be in the same family or not but as long as they kind of just feel right and complement each other then that's a, a quick win rather than trying to do two similar ish looking fonts it, it's never going to work as well as having a high contrast in the look and feel of the fonts well here's a little tip that we use fairly regularly if we're using a font for a a feature so it's a you know like a product name or something like that mm-hmm. we very very rarely use the font out of the box 
right? So we'll use the font as the starting point and then quite often we will outline it, we will modify it to our needs so that the letters interact better with each other. And one of the things our guys are really, really good at in Illustrator is adding shape and depth and effects to fonts so that they're not just flat. Uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I know it's very trendy these days just to have the flat, plain, you know, white font on a, on an image or something like that. But there's still a, a place for word marks and, and headings and things like that that have a bit more shape and depth to them. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good one, man. I guess another thing that we do is we we try to simplify designs as much as possible to you know, to make the things that we want to stand out, stand out more. And a lot of the time I find, you know, businesses that try and do their own designs, websites or marketing graphics or whatever the case is, they put too much into it and it just looks a mess. You don't know where to look. So if you just try from the start, know the fact that the less you have on there, the more focus will be on the things that you want to focus on. You can't go wrong. So, you know, just have a lot more clear space around things that you want people to focus on. So less is more. Yeah, use the Jerry Seinfeld attitude. Just sit there and remove one thing at a time Yeah. until you've got the minimum number of, of elements. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so photo hacks, right, or, or tricks. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things. So when you're photographing, or sorry, when we're photographing products, right, sometimes we cheat. I don't know if people know, but there's a lot of photoshopped photos out in the world. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, quite common in modelling and things like that, where yeah, the yeah. models get a bit of a touch-up. But, <laughs> you know, just, just it, here's some examples, right? So we have a product line that we've been photographing for 10 years now, and they have a range of solid copper light fittings, right? Now, Mm -hmm. the problem with copper is it oxidizes really, really quickly and fingerprints show up as oxidized fingerprints on the product. But when somebody's buying it new, they expect it to be that new shiny copper. And when these are packaged, they are wrapped in a way that they stay shiny to a certain extent. Yep. but for that product line, we've never taken a photo of the copper product in the entire 10 years. We will take a photo of the stainless steel version, and then in Photoshop, we will amend it to look like copper. Sure. Yeah, nice. Yeah, we had a lot of problems with, with trying to edit out oxidization marks and things like that. Now, here's another one. I mean, we, we've been doing photos of a dough product, like a Play-Doh style product and we have to make dough molds or sorry dough items from the mold but the problem is that the dough dries out by the time we get it into the studio it is hard to photograph because the colors are so different so we make everything out of white air drying clay and then we color it in photoshop afterwards So all these little things that you have to stop and think about your product. Is it appropriate to photograph it exactly the way it is? Or do you need to have a professional photographer suggest ways that you could photograph the item and then, you know, add the elements that you need in in Photoshop afterwards. Does that make sense? Yep, yep, absolutely. The other the other one I was just going to say too is is uh, we we spend a lot of time working individual colors in Photoshop. Now, this is really common in things like real estate photography these days. So if you go to any of the real estate websites, they've got these ultra rich blue skies and ultra bright 
green grass mm -hmm. but we take the same approach to just about anything that we photograph uh, when the light hits certain colors it can become too vibrant so we recently did a a photo shoot that had a very very bright orange on it and it was almost overpowering the other colors so we had to pull that back and quite often we will balance individual colors to make it look like the product would look like if you were holding it in your hand does that make sense yeah nice yeah that's that's high level what else you got uh whew, let me see are I you running out yeah i'm running out man because <laughs> i didn't write any down we only we didn't really prepare for this did we al no it's no like... look and, and the thing <laughs> is too we we said before we hit record that a lot of these little things that we do we take it for granted. I mean, we do it every day. We've learned it over 20 years of, of being in the industry. We've, we've picked it up from other great designers, mentors, people we've worked with, and we don't think about it. We just do it. That's right, yeah. But look, I have thought of one that we do, and, and that is, you know, we collect a lot of reference points. So, well, you know, we always collect reference. So, you know, if you're a business and you know, you want to take a, a shortcut, just collect a lot of reference of things that you like the look of and just be prepared when you are going to give a brief to a designer uh, to give them as much reference as possible, things you like and things you don't like. So there's a hack. Yeah, nice. Okay, I'm just trying to think if I've got any more cool photography hacks that i can share i was stalling for you to come up with ideas it's your turn to stall for me now yeah well, all right well i do have one with photography and that is you know if you've already got a photo that you have to work with and it's not panoramic but you need it to be panoramic and it might just be a normal four by three or six eight by nine or whatever i find it's really easy to 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 you know make it panoramic sure you can use some of the filters in photoshop but if you don't have access to that, you can literally just chop it and then flip one section of it and stretch that section out. And if you kind of blend that in over the top of the existing photo, it's pretty unnoticeable that it's been stretched and flipped. Yeah, uh, Photoshop now has content-aware scales. Yeah. So you, you, can, you can do it in Photoshop, but even then you've got to be careful with, with how you do that. But it is, with uh, digital formats these days, it's a really, really common problem. And I think that probably, that, that's another thing that, that when we're designing and when we're in the studio, we are thinking of the output that's required. So I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we've been doing a lot of product work and a lot of Amazon work and we have to be very conscious of how we're taking the photos because the photo that will go as a hero product on the front of a piece of packaging is very dependent on the size of the packaging mm -hmm. and the format of the packaging. Uh, is it a tall piece of packaging? Is it wide? And then Amazon, everything is square. So yeah. all the photo formats are square. So you want to try and fill the frame as best you can when, you, when you're doing the photo. So before you start working on a design, think of the output in mind. You know, a lot of people come, they want a brochure design. And so well, is the brochure square? Is it a standard letter size or A4 sheet? Is it folded? Is it a threefold so it's tall and narrow? There's, there's so many options. And really thinking about the output is probably one of the biggest tricks that we use is putting a little bit of front-end thought in before we get behind the camera, before we open our, our design palette to think about about that mm, yeah killer yep absolutely well that might be a wrap buddy unless you got any more you want to pull out of the hat look the only other thing i might suggest is from a studio point of view is just thinking about depth of field now that's probably a little high level but 
you know, do you want a blurred background or do you want the whole product to be in focus? Like, it's very trendy these days to have shallow depth of field, but I, I posted mm. a video on Facebook recently about a photo shoot that we did where the photographer used shallow depth of field on a product shot and parts of the product were blatantly out of focus, right, because of the technique that he had used where in this particular product's instance, it really needed to look sharp all the way through so mm-hmm. I, I guess if you if you're unfamiliar with those terms learn about it or go and find a photographer that can that can take care of it for you yeah absolutely i guess finally you know if you don't have photoshop and illustrator go check out tools like canva you know because they are pretty good they've got some good designers behind those templates so it's a yeah it's a nice shortcut if you don't have any design skills yeah, look, it is, but I think I think half of this conversation is it's not just the tool that you use, it's the way you put the elements in and the elements that you've got to use. Yeah, the thought behind them as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's still- awesome. How's that for an ad hoc episode, listener? Greg and I did zero preparation for that. We just had a great idea and hit record. <laughs> you let us know if it was good. Thanks for listening. Thanks, listener. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.